right, if you've got your program, if you don't mind grabbing that out and opening it up. Um, i got a lot to cover. In fact, this is like three sermons in one. If You can almost do each of these red sections, righteousness is, the good news is, how do I stay spiritually hungry. I could do a whole message on each of those. I'm going to try to do that by just talking really fast. Okay? I'm only kidding. Um, so if you'll follow along, we are continuing in our series called Real Happiness, the Unexpected Path to Blessing. And Jesus said something, something interesting in this week's uh, Beatitude. He says that having spiritual hunger is a good thing. In fact, he says that's one of the keys to having God's blessing in your life. One of the keys to, being real, to finding real happiness in your life is to stay spiritually hungry. So as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we get to this fourth Beatitude. This is a famous sermon that Jesus taught in Matthew's chapter 5, chapter five 6, and 7. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 in the NIV translation, blessed, and we know that blessed means happy, happy are those, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, circle the word righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, also circle the word filled, the word filled in a lot of translations says they will be fully satisfied. In other words, they're going to live a satisfied life. They will be filled or fulfilled life. But we have to hunger and thirst. I think I said thunger in the first service. Combine those together, made a new word today, just birth today. That they will thirst and hunger, hunger and thirst, for the right thing in order to have these fulfilled lives. He says we've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, what in the world is righteousness? Now, if you've grown up in church your whole life, you've heard the word righteousness all the time. Luckily, there's not usually a test where you've got to define righteousness. Uh, what does that mean? And if you haven't grown up in church, maybe you've never heard the word righteousness. Or when you've heard it, it's been in kind of a negative, a negative connotation, like, oh, those self-righteous people kind of a thing. So what does it mean? In fact, if I don't know the word righteousness, there's a problem. Because if God says one of the eight keys to having real happiness in life is I've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, how do I hunger and thirst for righteousness if I don't even know what righteousness is? So the Bible says that God loves righteousness. I want to boil the definition of righteousness now to just two sentences. They're both equally as important as the other. It's two sides to the same coin kind of a thing. You can't really have a full definition of righteousness without both of these definitions. And I'm going to give it to you in two sentences because it's about a relationship and it's also about a lifestyle. First thing I want you to write down is righteousness is a relationship. Righteousness means right with God. Righteousness Righteousness means right with God. It simply means a right standing with God. It means being right with God. Romans 1.17, great verse. In fact, we're going to refer back to this in a little bit. Romans 1.17 says this good news, circle good news, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Now, I had to circle good news because the words good news there means gospel. Gospel, the word gospel, simply means good news. It's the old English, like when they translated 
the Bible out of Latin into the King James in the 1600s. Good gospel is the word that's translated or translated from good news. That's all it means. So the gospel of the good news tells us how God makes us right with himself. Now, I want you to understand. Notice it says that God makes us right with him. We don't make ourselves right. God, this is something that God does for us. He makes us right with himself. It's about a relationship. The other thing that righteousness is, is it's about a lifestyle. The other part of the definition is that righteousness is a lifestyle. Righteousness means right living. That's the second thing that righteousness righteousness is. It's a lifestyle. It means living right. Living right as God intends. Living right as in being right with God. And living right in faith as God intends. So it's both a position where we are in relationship and it's a practice, what we do with our lives. First John one twenty nine. this is from the message paraphrase, great verse. It says, all who practice righteousness, you can circle righteousness again, all who practice righteousness are God's true children. So today I want us to do two things. I want us to see how does God make us right with him, with himself, and then how do I keep a spiritual hunger alive in my life so that I have God's blessing and I have, God's, I have real happiness in my life for the rest of my life. But before we do that, you've got to ask yourself, well, why? Why should I want to hunger and thirst for these two things? In a nutshell, there's two reasons. One is it's really the only way to live and to have true happiness, real happiness. And two, it's the only way to heaven. Now, don't take my word for this. All the way back in Proverbs, it says... In the same way of righteous, in the way, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Now you've heard me say many, many, many times, you were made by God and you are made for God. And until you understand that, life is never going to make sense. You are made by God and you are made for God. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And until you understand that, that that's why you're here, I was made by God, I was made for God, the life's never going to make any sense. Life is not about the acquisition of things. It's not about the achievement of goals. Life is about getting to know God, the God who loves you like we just sang about, the God who has made you for a purpose. And you're not really living until you're living for God, with God. You're connected to him. Not only is that good for your life here on earth, because you'll find God's blessing and you'll find real happiness, but the Bible says that righteousness, being in right relationship with God, being made right with God, and living right before God, the Bible says that righteousness is the path to immortality. In other words, it's the way you get to heaven. Now, here's the point. God is not going to force you to go to heaven. God doesn't force anybody to go to heaven. It's a choice. You choose heaven under God's circumstances, on God's terms. God created heaven as a place for his children that he loves. And he wants you to be his child. And he wants you to spend eternity in heaven with him forever and ever and ever. God has long-range plans for your life. You have long-range plans, you're thinking of retirement. God has long-range plans. He's thinking way past 
retirement. He wants you to be in heaven, but he's not going to force you to go to heaven. So God gives you a choice. You can spend your life connected to him in relationship. If, and you can spend your life disconnected with him if you choose. It's your choice. If you want to, you can rebel against God. A lot of people do. If you want to, you can ignore God your entire life. Lots of people do that. You can pretend. God will even let you pretend he doesn't even exist. There are people on this planet who think, who pretend God doesn't exist. There is no God. God's dead. You can disobey God. A lot of people do. Even we do sometimes. You can be apathetic towards God. And you know what God's going to say if you choose any of those things? God's kind of like Burger King. He's like, have it your way. Have it your way. God never forces anyone to love him. Because it's not really love if you're forced. So God gives you the choice. And if you say, I don't want to love God. And you say, I don't want to live for God. I don't want to be connected. I don't want to be your child. I want to be my own God. I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. It's my life. You do you. I'll do me. You know what God will say to you? Have it your way. Like Burger King. The only problem is, one day you're going to stand before God. And God's going to say, you know what? You never connected with me. You've never been close to me. You've never had a relationship with me on earth. Why in the world would you want to be close to me now for the rest of eternity? Have it your way. And you will be eternally separated from God. He would simply say, have it your way. You don't go to heaven. Have it your way. It's your choice. Have it your way. And you don't get to blame God for that. That's the choice you make or I make. God says, I... I gave you a choice to be close to me, to be connected to me, to be in a relationship with me, to call me father, to have a relationship with me, but have it your way. Because he wants you to choose to love him. So what is the plan? Well, that verse in Romans 1.17 said the good news, the gospel, tells us how God makes us right with himself. How does God make us right with himself? What is God's plan to make me righteous if I have to be righteous, made right with God, and I have to live righteous, live with God? What's God's plan for that? If righteousness is the only way to live and the only way to heaven, how does God make us righteous? Well, it's called the gospel, and I want to give you the three facts of the gospel. And if you've never heard it before, by the time you leave today, it's so simple, you'll be able to share it with somebody else. And if you've been in church all your life and you've heard it all your life, don't overcomplicate it. These are the three facts of the gospel. God's plan to make me reconciled or right with himself. Number one, I want you to jot this down. Number one, first thing is, I cannot make myself righteous. I cannot make myself righteous. Now, that may sound like bad news, like, uh uh-oh, that doesn't sound very good. But the fact is, I can't make myself righteous. We're all imperfect. We've all blown it. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's standards. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three says it this way, can a leopard change its spots? The answer is no. So how can I, an imperfect person, become perfect? Why is that even important? I'll tell you why. Heaven is a perfect place. 
The Bible says in heaven there's no sin, there's no sadness, there's no sorrow, there's no evil, there's no hatred, there's no racial, racial prejudice, there's no injustice. Heaven is a perfect place. Here's the problem. I'm imperfect. And by the way, so are you. So is everyone watching. Everybody is imperfect. So if God lets imperfect people into a perfect heaven, then heaven's not perfect at that moment. In fact, heaven will be no better than earth. If he lets us come to heaven with our sins, with our faults, with our mistakes, with our weaknesses, then there will be sin. There will be rape in heaven. There, be, there would be murder in heaven. There would be injustice and prejudice in heaven. There would be evil in heaven. There would be worry and stress in heaven. Heaven would be no better than earth. So God can't let sinful, imperfect people into heaven. Otherwise, it's full of sin too. So there's a big problem here, isn't there? Because I don't know about you, but I stopped being perfect about my third breath on this planet. So God has to come up with a plan. He had to come up with a plan. The good news, gospel, the good news, the gospel, is what we're going to look at in just a second. Somehow God has this plan. He's got to have this plan to take my unrighteousness away and give me righteousness so that I can go into this perfect place. Now, don't take my word for this. The Old Testament and the New Testament tell us exactly what you already know. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the smartest man to ever live, wrote, There's no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. That's me. That's you. That's everybody that you know. There's nobody who always does the right thing and never sins. So we're all unrighteous. New Testament says the exact same thing. Romans 3.20. For no one can ever be made right with God. Circle made right. There's that phrase again. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how, sim how sinful we are. The only people who think they can keep God's laws are people who don't know what they are. Because God's laws are perfect, and none of us are perfect. I was talking with a guy one time. He was right out in our portable out back, and we were talking about heaven. So I just asked him, on what basis, his name was Bob. I said, Bob, on what basis do you think you're going to heaven? And he said to me, because I keep the Ten Commandments. To which I said, you keep the Ten Commandments? Hmm. I said, can you name them? And his wife was incredulous because she says, they're in, the, they're in the dining room. You know, they're on the wall. You know, and he's, uh, 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 uh. And I'm like, not only can you, do you not keep them, you can't even name them. Right? He couldn't even name the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus said, we've all broken the commandments. Every one of them. The Bible says if you hate someone in your heart, it's like murder. The Bible says... If you've lusted in your heart, it's like adultery. Those are the two. Th those are the two. Everybody says, "Well, I haven't ever murdered anybody or, 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 or had adultery," you know. And um, the Bible says, "If you hate somebody in your heart, or let me just just if you hate somebody on Facebook, 
Okay, like somebody who voted the opposite way of you or believes the opposite thing about masks than you or about the vaccination than you or believes the opposite thing about, you know, whatever than you or roots for the other team than you. If you hate somebody on Facebook or in your heart, it's like murder. Or if you've lusted in your heart, what the rest of the Internet's for is porn, right? Then it's like adultery. The Bible says, don't have, don't, don't have any other gods before me. There's always been times in our lives where we've put other things ahead of, ahead of God. We're all guilty of that one. In fact, the truth is we've all lacked integrity at time. We've bared false witness. We've all coveted things that other people have had, our neighbors have had. We've broken all the commandments, even though we can't name them. In fact, the guy's wife looked at him and said, he says, well, I guess I've broken every one of them. She's like, adultery? <laughs> you know, that's when we had to get into the in your heart kind of a thing. So it's not going to get me into heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments because none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. I've never kept them perfect. Another time I was talking to another guy. It wasn't in the portable. It was just in town. I said, so what? why do you think you're going to heaven? He looked me right in the eye and he says, because I'm better than a lot of people. I said, well, you, so you think God grades on a curve. A lot of people think this. You know, I, I, I have no doubt that in this room there are plenty of you who, you know, compared to Hitler, you're a saint. Yeah, compared to Hitler, you know. But compared to Jesus, mm, not so much. In fact, you, you're probably better than me. It's not that hard. I told you last week. I could be a jerk, you know, especially when I'm tired and hungry, you know. Hangry, right? Next time, be gentle. Uh, <laughs> you've been following along. You should go. If you didn't laugh, you need to. You didn't watch last week's sermon. I, I, I do that just to see. So I have no doubt you're probably better than me. Okay, but the fact is, nobody gets to perfection that level, and God doesn't grade on a curve. So the Bible says we all fall short. We can't make ourselves right with God on our own. We can't make ourselves righteous on our own. So God has to have a plan. What in the world is God's plan? It's the second thing about the gospel. The first thing is, I can't make my own self righteous. The second thing is, God sent Jesus to pay for my sins so I could be declared righteous. Now I want you to write the word declared, and I want you to circle the word declared. It's already underlined. I want you to put a star by the word declared. And if you want to put fireworks by the word declared, you can put fireworks if you can draw those in. It's not that I'm better. It's not that I have earned it. It's that Jesus pays for my sins. When you break God's law, you pay God's penalty. When you break man's law, you should pay man's penalty. When you break God's law, you pay God's penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means somebody's got to pay for all the things that I've done that have hurt me, hurt others, and hurt God. All the things that I've done wrong. Somebody's got to pay for them, either me or somebody else. Well, Jesus steps up. He raises his hand. He says, I will be the somebody else. I will be the Savior. I will die and pay for your sins, Jerry. I'll die and pay for your sins, church, so you don't have to pay for them and go to hell. You don't have to pay for it, and you can be with me in heaven forever. Do you understand why the gospel is called the good news? Hello. That means everything you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong 
has been already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. When he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, it wasn't saying he's finished. He's saying sin is finished. The sacrificial system is finished. It's been paid for. It's finished. That's what Jesus said. Paying for all the sins of everybody, including you, including me. That's such good, good news. The different, this is the difference between Christianity and any other philosophy or any other religion, any other worldview. Every other religion can be summarized in two words. It can be summarized in one word. What you've got to do, the word do. Christianity is summarized in a different word. Those are the two words, do and a different word. Every religion says they have their to-do list. One religion says you've got to do these, this list, and then God will think you're cool. Another religion says, no, 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 you've got to do our list. These are the to-do list, and God will think you're cool. Another religion comes around and says, well, we like three or four of those and three or four of those. We're going to make two or three of our own. This is our list. You've got to do this. Christianity is not summarized in the word do. The second word, the word that Christianity is, can summarize all of Christianity is the word done. It was done for you 2,021 years ago on a cross by Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, he says, it's done. It's been done for you. Now, there's a book in the Bible that explains all of this in detail. It's a little bit deep. It's called the book of Romans. And there are 10 chapters out of the 16 of Romans that deal with this very issue. And Romans 3 gives a little short synopsis of those 10 chapters. I want to read you just a little bit of Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 23 to 25 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, we're not perfect. None of us measure up to God's standard. We don't even measure up to our own. Now, this is not the good news. That's not the good news. That's, in fact, the bad. In fact, I don't even think it really is news because we all know that we're imperfect. There's no news to that. The next verse is the good news, the gospel. Yet God, in fact, the word yet is translated but in some, in some translations, but God. And let me just tell you, this is a big but. I, I keep telling people, someday I'm going to do a series called The Big Butts of the Bible. Nancy won't let me do it. But God, God likes big butts, and he does not lie. Okay? But God freely, y'all would all come to that series, wouldn't you? I bet you, we're going to do it. But God freely and graciously, that's his grace, declares uh, we are righteous, circle righteous. So unrighteous becomes righteous, declares righteous. That's why I had to write the word declares there. But God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. I'm now declared not guilty. He did this through Christ Jesus, not because of what we've done. We can't make ourselves righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right. Circle made right. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could, what's it say? Be made right, circle made right again, with God 
through Christ. It's all throughout the New Testament. And you know what? It's also in the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us a picture of what's going to happen. There's an old sacrificial system where they would take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and sacrifice it, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, and then there was a scapegoat. All of the sins of Israel were placed on the scapegoat, and it was released into the wilderness, and that covered their sins for one year. That was a picture, that sacrificial system, that one day Jesus would pay the price once and for all as the Lamb of God, that he would take on our sin, that he would forgive us of our sin. And when he said it's finished, he says the sacrificial system is finished. Titus 3, 5, Paul writes and says, God saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And that's the good news. First, I can't make myself righteous. There's not a snowball's chance in hell that you're getting into heaven on your own effort. You can quote me on that. Tweet that. Because you're not good enough. And neither am I. Nobody is. That's the good news that God sent Jesus to pay for my sins. And the third part of the gospel is I accept by faith what God did for me. I accept by faith what God did for me. That's all you have to do. That's all I'm required to do. All I do is I accept God's grace. I accept God's mercy. I accept God's forgiveness. I say, God, I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid for my sins so that I could be a part of your family, God. I can live the way you want me to live now, and I can go on and have eternity with you in heaven. That is righteousness. Romans 3.22 says we are made right. There it is again. Circle made right. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. This is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. I love that part, no matter who we are. We can all be saved no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter who we've done it with, no matter how long we've done it. All be saved. I don't care what kind of religious background you've had. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you grew up Baptist or Buddhist. Maybe you grew up Methodist or Muslim or Mormon or Pentecostal or Presbyterian. Doesn't matter. All religion. Maybe you even grew up agnostic or atheist or you grew up with a whole mixture of all of that. You're just, you don't know what in the world you believe. No religion can get you to heaven. Only God's grace can get you to heaven. No amount of works can make you righteous. Whether it's this guy's list or that guy's list or that guy's list, none of the religious lists will get you into heaven because you can't be righteous enough. It's just simply a relationship with your heavenly Father, connection with him through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the way. For you to have that relationship. Romans 10 verse 9 says. If, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. In other words. I declare that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. The savior of the world. And that he came to die. For my sins. If you openly declare that Jesus is who he 
that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are what? Made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So I want you to settle this issue this morning. If you're watching from home, no matter where you're watching or you're in the pavilion, as your pastor who loves you, I don't want you wondering. I don't want you worried. Am I going to heaven? Am I doing enough to go to heaven? I don't want you to be concerned about that or have any doubts about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to do exactly what Romans 10 says. We're going to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. Would God lie? No. Why? Because God can't lie. God can only tell the truth. He is truth. What's true is always true. There are truths that are always true, no matter what the political landscape or what the cultural trend is. Truth is true all the time. Our, our universe operates that way. Gravity is true all the time. There's not gravity. It's not like if gravity only happened on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'd be in a messed up world, wouldn't we? We'd be all out of here. The universe operates because some things are always true, and this is true. What Jesus said in John 14, the night before he went and was betrayed, he says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want you to settle this. I want you to have assurance and never doubt again. Am I going to heaven when I die? What do I do? Well, you accept the good news that we've just talked about. So let's bow our heads right now. I know we're praying in the middle of the message. We still have four points, mini message at the end, so don't freak out. I wanted to do this in the middle because sometimes when I pray at the end, you guys check out. You're like, you're out of here, you know. So I'm on to you. So let's bow our heads. And maybe you've been in church your entire life, but the light bulb finally came on. Or maybe this is the first time you've been in a service. And I just want you to pray this prayer in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. Now, if you're at home, you can say this out loud. If you're in your car, you can say it out loud. But you don't have to. You can just think these words and just say, Dear God, I know I'm imperfect and I know I can never be perfect. I can't be righteous on my own. Yet I thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Are you praying this? I know I'm imperfect and I know I can never be perfect. I can't be righteous on my own. Yet, on my own, yet I thank you for loving me in spite of myself. I thank you that you made me that you created me. And I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And you made me to know you. Thank you for the choice that you've given me to accept or reject, to love or not love you. Today, I humbly ask you to save me because of what Jesus Christ did for me, not on the basis of what I have done or haven't done, but on the basis of what Jesus came to do. Dear God, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I want to put my trust in your Son. Jesus Christ, I want to get to know you. I want to learn to love you. I want to hunger and thirst for being right with you for the rest of my life. So I simply... Say that I put my trust, not in my works, not in my good 
or the bad that I've done, but I put my trust in your grace. I put my trust in your forgiveness, Jesus. And Jesus, today I want you to be the Lord of my life. Amen. Now, if you're on campus and you prayed that prayer, please let me know by um, taking that communication card there, tearing it free, and just put, I prayed or I invited Jesus into my life, and circle that. Place it in the box in the back of the auditorium. If you're watching online, I want you to text me or email me. You can email me, jerry at seminolechurch.com, J-E-R-R-Y at seminolechurch.com, or text me if you have my text number. We had three people text or email in the first service that they prayed this prayer. So do that so I can be praying for you. And if I don't have your number in my phone, I'll ask you to give me your name, and, um, and I'll put you in my phone. So doctors say that a loss of appetite is a symptom that you're sick. You probably, you know that. That when you're, when you're sick and you're ill, you don't feel good, you don't have an appetite. So if Nancy says to me, hey, dinner's served, and I say, I'm not hungry, then she's like, call the doctor, you got to be sick. Right? Because if you're sick, you don't have an appetite. Well, sometimes I could just be full. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. But if you've got a fever, if you've got an upset stomach, you have a loss of appetite. And a loss of appetite is an indication that something's not right in your body. The same thing is true spiritually. If you don't have a hunger to know God, if you're not thirsty to get to know God, then you're sick. You're spiritually sick. You're not healthy spiritually. So how do I stay spiritually hungry for the rest of my life? How do I maintain a spiritual hunger for God for the rest of my life? So that tomorrow I know God a little bit better than I know him today. That, that next month I know God. Just like we sang in that song. I know that he loves me now and I'm closer to him than I was a week ago or a month ago. And that next year in 2022 that I'm grown as a believer, I've grown in my love for God and in his presence in my life, how do I do that? How do I create or maintain a spiritual appetite? There's four things that I want to close with in this little mini message at the end here. Number one, if you'll jot these down quickly, I've got to remind myself how much God loves me every day. We need to do this every day. I've got to remind myself how much God loves me. We get up in the morning and say, God, please help me to remember how much you love me today. We sang about it. Because the more we understand how much God loves me, the more we're going to love him. We want to hang out with people, with someone who's head over heels in love with us. Ephesians 3.19 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the beatitude, and you will be filled. First, you've got to remember how much God loves you. Remind yourself every day. Second, got to stop filling up on junk food. Yep. Sometimes when Nancy says, hey, dinner's, dinner's done, I'm like, I'm not hungry. It's not because I'm sick. It's because I've been snacking. It's because I've been eating a whole bunch of junk, okay? 
And spiritually, if you're not hungry for God in your life, it may not be that you're sick. It may be that you're just filling up with too many, too many other things. There's a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. And when we start to try to fill it with salary and with status and with success and sex and passion and possessions and position and power and prestige, any other thing you try to fill that hole with, then God, then you're not going to be fulfilled, but you're not going to be hungry for him. Because sometimes we're not hungry for God because we're full of ourselves. You ever met somebody who's full of themselves? Some people are just full of it, right? They're full of it, all right. We're full of ourselves or we're full of something else, but we're obviously not going to have a hunger for God. Proverbs 15, 14 says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Maybe we need to take some trash out of our life. Maybe you need to clean some trash out of your mouth, out of your thoughts. If we're always thinking about something else instead of God, then we're not going to have time for God. The question is, what are you hungry for? Because whatever you're hungry for is determining the destiny of your life. We need to hunger and thirst after God to be right with God and to live right with God. Third thing, I've got to make knowing God my number one goal in life. Make knowing God my number one goal in life. That's how you maintain spiritual hunger. You make knowing him the number one goal, not success and not happiness. Now, we're doing a series called Real Happiness. So it might surprise you when I say, don't make real happiness your goal in life. Seeking after real happiness is not how you find happiness. You, you seek after God, and happiness and success are the byproducts of seeking after the kingdom of God. You find real happiness seeking God, not happiness. That's why we started this series saying, you know, real happiness is not some meditation book. Real happiness is not everybody else's opinion. The way you find real happiness is you focus on getting to know God. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll notice that David talks about this over and over again. God, I really want to get to know you. And you can hear David's passion in the way that he knows and wants to know God. Because he says things like, I, want to long, I long for you, God. I thirst for you, God. I hunger for you, God. I beg for you, God. I plead for you, God. I cry out. I must have you, God. Just one verse from Psalm 63.1. Oh, God, you are my God. I honestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. He wrote that in the desert of Judah. Some of you are going through a desert right now. You're in a desert in your marriage. It's all dried up. You're in a desert in your career. It's all dried up. You're in a desert in a relationship. You're in a desert in your, your finances. It's all dried up. What do you do when you're in a desert? You hunger and thirst for God because he can fulfill you. Matthew 6.33, this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount still. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live, there's that word again, righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So I make knowing God my number one goal. And then finally, 
You're not surprised to hear me say this. I've got to get into God's Word every day. This book is your soul food. It's food for your soul. The Bible calls itself the bread of life. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he said to Satan in response, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You've got to get into God's word. I've told you before, you should be reading your Bible. The last verse there is 1 Peter 2, verse 2. I forgot to put the, the verse there. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. And it says, You must crave... Circle crave. You must crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment like a baby cries for milk. Now, notice in the point there, I said get into God's word every day. I didn't say read God's word every day, which I usually say all the time. And the reason I didn't say read God's word every day is I get it. Some of you don't like to read. I keep hearing you tell me that. That's fine. You don't have to read God's Word every day. You can listen to God's Word. You can get a CD or tape or MP3. The best way to listen is to download the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. It's a little brown one with a little red tassel that says Holy Bible. And if you'll go to the App Store, I helped three people do this after the first service. Go to the App Store, type in Holy Bible, get the YouVersion. And then when it comes up, you can click Read, you can click I just clicked on Psalm 63 in the first service, and here's what you can do. It'll blow your mind. You hit the little thing up top that looks like a speaker, and it will read it to you. You've got to hit the little arrow to, read, to go. Psalm 63. Can you hear that? God, you are my God. With music. I earnestly search for you. This is the same verse. My soul thirsts for you. Hear it? Listen. This is so simple, you don't even need a teenager. I could help you do this, okay? And you, you, if you're like, you don't know technology, then you plug your earphone in and put your big old headphones on. Or you can Bluetooth it. It'll hook right into your car if you have a modern car. It'll hook right into your, your earbuds or your, your uh, AirPods. And you can, listen, I'm not saying you've got to listen to this an hour a day, but you can do it for 10 minutes while you're in the car. Well, you're behind people that aren't turning left, and you're trying not to you be gentle. Be gentle. Don't honk. By the way, I did good. I didn't honk at anybody this week, and I had plenty of opportunity, by the way. I had a lot of opportunity. It's like, like, did they go to our church? Are they, are they putting me on here? Um, so you can listen to God's Word 10, 15 minutes a day. Go there, download Version Bible, the Bible app. Click on Read. Click on maybe go to... Um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. You could listen to the whole Sermon on the Mount this week by the time we're, we're back together. You could go to the book of John. You could uh, click on Romans. Now, Romans is a little deeper reading. It's 16 chapters. That'll take you a while, okay? But listen to or read God's Word. Any of us can do this. You don't have, by the way, the Bible app is free. Christians have given. They gave $22 million to get it started. It's probably over $100 million have been donated. And Craig Groeschel from Live Church has put the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, on every platform anywhere in the world, as long as you're not in a communist country that's blocking it, you can have the Bible app for free in your own language. 
Our language is English. It's pretty easy. Or you can get it in Spanish if you'd like. So you've got to get God's word into your heart and into your mind so that it can help you to live righteously, live right in God's eyes. I want to help you. Let me pray for you as we get going on this this week. Heavenly Father, as we close in prayer, in fact, let's just have a simple prayer that we all pray. Why don't you pray this with me? Say, God, I want you, I need you, and I must have you in my life. Would you make that your prayer? God, I want you. God, I need you. And God, I must have you in my life. So, Father, this week I pray a blessing on everyone here that we would sense your closeness like we sang today. You'll draw us closer. That we'd realize how much you love us like we also sang. That we would make knowing you the number one goal of our lives. And you would help us to stop feeding on junk food. Help us to get in your word every day, either reading it or hearing it. Help us to download the app and listen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.